It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome to the virtual bible study we're glad you're a part of it tonight it is the virtual bible study for thursday august 7 or J- september 17th 2009 Man. My name is Jacob Gwynn, and my father, Greg Gwynn, is here. You almost completely missed that on the date. but I did. I was uh, quick recovery there. Yeah. Yep. September 17th. Glad to have everybody listening tonight. We appreciate our listening audience, both those who listen live and those who listen by the archives. We're glad you join us for the virtual Bible study, our regular weekly Internet Bible study group. Thanks for being there tonight. And we look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Or you can join in with other listeners in the chat room tonight. We encourage you to go there. We need to update our listeners. Any uh, progress on uh, getting our, uh, hopefully, uh, Baptist friend, David Martin, on the program? No response. Still no response. So uh, apparently our experience is going to turn out to be the same as others who've responded to him, and he he does not acknowledge the response. So that's a shame. Uh, I hope it would change, but we, so far, no response. Uh, well, maybe our list, maybe our answers stand then. Uh, hopefully they do, and uh, we look forward to hearing from him, though, if he would uh, be willing to defend his view. We have an interesting program planned for tonight, Dad. Uh, some news items in the lately in the headlines about uh, parenting. We'll talk about parenting. Yeah, we're going to talk about parenting on the uh, program tonight. Uh, it's a subject we've talked about before, but we want to approach it in a few different ways tonight. Uh, if you're uh, on our regular email list you got some questions earlier today and we've been asking for responses we've got some we'd like to get some more here are the questions we put out there and we'd love to hear from you on these questions number one when do children begin to understand things like god his omniscience prayer etc number two which individuals in the bible do you think provide some of the best and worst examples of parenting and number three what things in our modern world are contributing to a broad failure on the part of parents to properly teach and train their children so we're going to approach the parenting question along those lines tonight, and we'd love to have your input. Uh, again, our contact information is unchanged. You can send us email, and we, we watch for emails all through the program, questions at collegeview.com. You can call us and get right on the program, 877-381-4567. You can get in the chat room and chat with others. We may pick up some comments out of the chat room. We'd be glad for you to join the chat room there. Follow the instructions on your screen to get into the chat room. And also, we uh, remember, we send out Twitter updates. If you are on Twitter and would like to get our updates weekly about the program, uh, send us uh, or look for us on Twitter, VBS Questions. We're VBS Questions on Twitter. Um, so we, we, we also, one more thing we can talk about is that we send out an update by email every week. And if you'd like to be on our email update list, send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, and just put in the subject line, uh, add me to your list. We'll do all that. Now, to our subject for tonight, this was uh, spurred on, Jacob. This, this subject was spurred on in our thinking by 
something that was recently in Newsweek. I was kind of surprised to see Newsweek cover this story from this angle. They had a review of a book called Nurture Shock, Nurture Shock by a man named Bo Bronson and a woman named Ashley Merriman. And there was an article written by this Ashley Merriman uh, to, to sort of uh, uh, plug the book, I suppose. And she dealt with the question in her article, what do kids understand about God? And so we want to sort of start out along those lines. What do you think uh, that kids are able to understand about God at what age and so forth? Because I think as parents who are interested in teaching children to know God, to love God, to serve God, I think parents would want to know when is an appropriate time to start trying to instill some of those kind of values. Um, in the article in Newsweek, it, a Swiss child development pioneer by the name of Jean Paget a while back concluded that, quote, children are incapable of having a true concept of God. They think of him just as a supersized, magical version of their own parents. But it goes on to point out that recent research is suggesting that that was an underestimation, that kids are actually able to do more, to do better at an earlier age. And uh, she says, uh, this Ashley Merriman says, children as young as four understand that a prayer is qualitatively different than a wish, that it's a special kind of conversation between people and God. It's around that same age, around age four, that kids show some appreciation of divine omnipotence and omniscience. They can explain to you that a person made a car or a pizza, but that it was God who made the mountains. By five or six, they understand that even though mommies are very smart, God knows things that mommies can't know. Uh, and they are affluent enough, they have a fluent enough mastery of that principle that they can predict God's superior knowledge even in novel circumstances. School-aged children believe that God is in direct control of their lives, much more so than adolescents or adults. Uh, so the, the, the idea of this article in Newsweek is that kids are capable of learning at an earlier age than previously uh, predicted. I'd be interested to hear from some of our listeners. My take on that is, she mentioned kids four years old and five and six years old. My take on that is that I think kids can learn at an even earlier age uh, and our own experience. And I'd like to hear from the experience of some of our listeners. If you're inclined to call us, tell us, send us an email. I think kids can learn about God far earlier than that. All right. Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. If they are able to understand those concepts at four or five, there has to be a foundation to be built upon. Children who are four or five can also recite their alphabet, but they didn't start learning their alphabet when they got to be five years old. There is a foundation of learning that uh, is culminated by their being able to recite the alphabet. I think the same would be true for the religious understanding that the children have about God and about prayer. They can't just begin that at ages four and five. There needs to be a foundation that they're working upon there. So what you're saying, I think, Jacob, is kids, we start teaching kids something even before we think they're fully capable of comprehending all the intricacies of that subject. We start teaching them um, simple counting when we're sure that they're not able to grasp the whole notion of mathematics. But we start teaching them one, two, three, four. At a very early age, we start teaching them to count, to recognize colors, 
to do other things because you say we're laying a foundation then that will be built upon. But we start early. We don't wait till a kid's four or five years old to teach them how to count or begin to recognize their name written in, in block letters or something like that. We start earlier. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. When do children begin to understand things like God, his omniscience, prayer, etc.? What are your thoughts on that question tonight? What do you think? We got an email from Randy in Jackson, Missouri, who says, Children learn from the other humans around them, both the adults and other children. They start from the moment of birth. If the parents believe the truth about God and live a Christian lifestyle, <coughs> excuse me, the children will mimic them, at least in the beginning. Later, in their sin, they may rebel against the standards of their parents. So uh, Rand, I think Randy's right. Uh, we start this early. We start this from the, from the very time that they're just an infant, a newborn infant. We start... Uh, exposing them to religious services, to worship services, to get them uh, in tune with the idea of, of worshiping God. We're sure that they don't fully comprehend that, but we're beginning, as you said, Jacob, to lay the groundwork. And Randy says that should start at the moment of birth. And and the children, and we've all seen this, children, as Randy says, will at first mimic what they see others doing, not fully understanding, but that is the foundation. All right. Thank you, Randy, for that comment. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com or go to the chat room and follow the instructions that are scrolling across your screen at ustream.tv. You will need to be signed in tonight. The automatic feature is not available, so you can create an easy account there, sign in, and you can chat with other listeners in the chat room tonight. We hope you'll take advantage of that. Send us your comments via email. Give us your phone calls that we'd like to hear from you about parenting tonight. And maybe you are uh, not a parent, but you believe that you understand some things from the Scriptures, some guidelines and principles that the Scriptures teach about it. Or maybe you're an experienced parent, and you can tell us uh, from experience some of the things that you have learned from the Scriptures and and verified what the Scriptures have taught in your personal life. Let us know your thoughts on the program tonight. We got another email from Gail in, here in Columbia, Tennessee, who says, uh, I think there may be a broad range in understanding different topics at different ages. And I would stop right there to agree with her. I think all children are different. And and so it would be hard to state a hard and fast rule as to exactly at what age every child is going to understand the same principles. I think there is variation, as Gail mentioned. She said, I understood things like baptism is for forgiveness of sins and omniscience of God at a young age, like six or seven. However, I was 15, almost 16, before I understood prayer and faith. But actions like keeping your own heart, faith, accountability, stewardship take a lot more maturity and understanding. And I believe that's right. I believe that that some principles uh, are easier understood at a younger age. And, and as Gail mentions, actually, we're all continuing to learn and mature in our knowledge of God and his will. We never we never get done with that process. Some concepts are more complicated. Um, for instance, you know, we, we wouldn't try to teach a, a very young child um, principles like atonement and redemption necessarily, but we would teach them some of the Bible stories about great characters uh, of faith who served God and show what their lives were like. And, again, I keep coming back to what you said, Jacob. We'd be laying a foundation when we did that. Right. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. We have an example of 
some parents and grandparents in uh, first second Timothy chapter one verse four uh, five. Paul talks about Timothy and his uh, mother and grandmother. When I called to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. Certainly they had been instrumental at bringing up Timothy at uh, likely a very young age. Yeah, so so the implication is they, they started early. They didn't wait. And I believe that that's, that would be, in, in regards to this question, when do kids start to learn? Well, every kid is different. And simple subjects obviously are going to be easier to understand than more complicated ones. But the point of it is we don't wait. We start teaching them early from from infancy. We start teaching them about God and about those principles at a level that they are likely to be able to deal with. Uh, as they grow older, we're going to talk with them at more involved or, or, or more detailed or more complicated levels. But we're not going to wait. We don't wait in, in other important things with our kids, and we shouldn't wait in teaching them the things about God. I'm very troubled, Jacob, when I hear parents suggest what I think is so foolhardy. They say, well, I'm not going to uh, force my children in matters of religion. I'm going to wait till they're old enough to decide for themselves. And basically what they're saying is they're not going to teach them at all about religious things with the idea that when they get older, they'd be interested in pursuing that. That's, that's foolishness. That'll never happen. We don't wait till our kids are old enough to decide for themselves as to uh, whether to brush their teeth or take a bath or whether to go to school to learn to read and write. If if we left it up to the kids, kids would never learn anything. We we understand what's in their best interest, and therefore we push those things in that direction. We influence them in the direction we think is important for them to go, even though they don't understand and wouldn't personally choose to do that at that age we know the importance of it, and so we, we, we begin the process. And that's the way it's got to be in, in regards to serving God and learning about him, which is the most important thing of all. I spoke with a gentleman recently who said he was not going to force his children to go to church. He could not. He said you can't force them to go to church. And as you said, Dad, that is uh, very foolish. We force children to do a lot of things that they are not interested in doing, eating their vegetables, going to bed on time, and uh, other various other things. And certainly religion would be no different. Let us know your thoughts at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. When we come back from this break, Jake, we want to look at our second question. Which individuals in the Bible do you think provide some of the best and the worst examples of parenting? Uh, if you haven't gotten us a, a response to that, we hope you'll do that right during this break. Just send us a quick email to questions at collegeview.com. Give us your vote for the best and worst parents in the Bible. Let us know your thoughts. We're back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. 
My name is Roger Toombs, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. Welcome back to the program tonight. We're talking about a very important subject on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about parenting. And there are souls at stake when we think about parenting. And so this is an important topic for us to discuss. Maybe you have children currently and you would like some help from others, or maybe you have had children and uh, can share some of your wisdom from the Scriptures. Or you're planning to have children. Okay, that would work as well. So let us know your thoughts on the program tonight. Join in on the phones, join in on email, or join in the chat room tonight. The chat room is silent tonight, so get in there and chat up the with the other listeners. Um, I noticed, uh, found a, a review of a book recently. It's not a new book, not not a real new book, but I, I came across a review of a book called The Nurture Assumption by a psychologist named Judith Rich Harris. And the, again, the name of the book is The Nurture Assumption. The subtitles are Why Children Turn Out the Way They Do and Parents matter less than you think, and peers matter more. And so, this author was suggesting that it's really it's not a big, it's not so much about what the parents do. The parents don't matter much in how kids turn out. It's really about how your peers uh, treat you. Um, in in the dust cover of the book, uh, a review by the publisher said this. How much credit do parents deserve when their children turn out well? How much blame when they turn out badly? This electrifying book explodes some of our deepest beliefs about children and parents and gives us some radically new, something radically new to put in their place. With eloquence and wit, Judith Harris explains why parents have little power to determine the sort of people their children become. It is what children experience outside the home in the company of their peers that matters most. Parents don't socialize children. Children socialize children. And so here's this book, and I think I think it's just a crazy idea, uh, and I think the Bible dispels this notion, but this author, she's a, a psychologist, which probably proves we shouldn't put a lot of confidence in what psychologists say. She's completely off base, Jacob. She's saying parents don't matter. It really, it really doesn't matter how you parent your children. They're going to turn out the way they're going to turn out regardless of what the parents do. Sounds like she is trying to excuse her own failures or wanting uh, to excuse other parents' failures for not bringing up their children as they should. Uh, certainly, this is a, a ludicrous assumption, uh, but the idea is, and uh, certainly we see it in other aspects of parenting in our society today, that you're not responsible for disciplining your children. Your children are either good or bad. They're born that way. They're either born uh, attentive and uh, born disciplined, or they're not. And uh, it's not your fault. And it depends on what kind of kids they're around. Now, we're not denying that it, that peers do have an influence on our children. And as parents, we've got to really be concerned about the people, the peers that our children choose to be with. We should help guide them in making good choices in that regard. But the Bible's very plain, Jacob. The Bible very plainly teaches that parents can and do influence their children in significant ways and that parents are actually commanded uh, to work with their children to bring them up in a proper fashion. Uh, there's just no doubt about that. So our subject for consideration then is about parenting, and we, we can learn from some of the examples in the Scripture. That's what we want to do right now. And then toward the last of the program, Jacob, we want to talk about 
What do you think? Our last question for discussion, I put this out there again. What things in the modern modern world are contributing to a broad failure on the part of parents to properly teach and train their children? And I think there are a number of influences in the world that we can comment about. We'd like your input on that subject. But let's talk about some of these examples, Jacob. What are some of the good and bad examples of parents in the Bible? All right, let us know your thoughts. Uh, just send us a one-word email, if you like, or get in the chat room and just send us one, the name of the person that comes to mind as your best example of a parent. Send that email. It'll take you about 15 seconds to get that fired off to us, questions at collegeview.com. And uh, then also you could put in there your the example of the worst parent. We'd like to hear from you on that. Or if you'd like, the phone line is open. You can call 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. Let us know your thoughts about parenting on the program tonight. Certainly lots of uh, characters come to play, lots of Bible uh, people that we could talk about. Uh, Abraham, I think, is one of the popular ones on the list tonight, and certainly Abraham was a parent who was commended by God in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. God shows his commendation, and certainly it is something that all parents should aspire to. God says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. God knew that Abraham was going to parent as he should, that he would bring up his children as he should. You know, that, that, that's got to be a really uh, powerful statement on, uh, in regards to Abraham. It wasn't other people who said, I've got some real confidence in Abraham as a good parent. It was God himself who said, I know that Abraham will command his children and his whole household after him. So Jehovah God had that kind of confidence to Abraham. Boy, that'd be a great thing if, uh, as we're rearing our children, if if we felt that God had that kind of confidence in us. Obviously, it doesn't come accidentally or by chance. A parent is going to have to apply himself or herself in this very important work of child rearing before that could ever be true. But that's, that Abraham's got to stand out as a very positive example. A couple things I see in that verse is the first that is that God knew Abraham, and uh, certainly God knows us. God knows what kind of parents we are as well. But the second thing I see combats the uh, the concept that you mentioned that people say that we shouldn't force things upon our children. It says here that I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. Uh, he was putting forth mandates and dictates that this is how we're going to live. Uh, we're going to follow God's commands. He was, he was leading and directing that this is the way it was going to be for his children. I, I tell you what, uh, and, and maybe this just sounds too hard-nosed, but I've known of parents who had children living in their home who would not obey certain rules of moral conduct, who would not attend worship services, who would not you know, join with the family and go into church services and so forth. And i got to tell you, that's so different than what you're reading about Abraham there. And I'm strongly of the opinion, and I think, what we read about Abraham here implies that he would have been the same way. You're going to live in my house. You're going to live by my rules, and we're going to church on Sunday. And if you can't live by those rules, then you can go find someplace else to live. But that's how it's going to be while you're living in my house. It says in the Revised Standard Version, uh, No, for I have chosen him that he may charge his children and his household after him. Uh, he was he was charging. He was commanding his children. You know, This is something that uh, was not just take it or leave it. It was the way it was going to be in Abraham's house. And you know, another fellow who fits right in with that same pattern of leading his family in a definite way is Joshua. In Joshua 24, verse 15, the famous statement of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve Jehovah God. So uh, 
notice Joshua didn't say, well, I hope we can. And, and when my, I hope my kids, when they get old enough to make a decision for themselves, I hope they'll decide to serve God. Notice the definiteness of that statement. As for me and my house, not just me, but me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, uh, I mean, that's the way parents need to approach this. This is not something to be tentative about. This is something to be very forceful about. We will do this. Yeah, if Joshua lived in America in the 21st century, he would have said, as for me, I'll serve Jehovah for my house, so we'll just hope for the best. Yeah, uh, That's not the way that he put it back in those days. So let us know your thoughts, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the program. We tonight. need more emails. We, we're taking a poll, good and bad parents from the Bible. Give us your quick answers on this. We've got a few here. Randy says, I suppose the worst parent might be Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And I think he's right. Eli was a, was a failure as a parent. Apparently, Eli was a, a, a good man in his own right. As far as his own personal conduct, it seemed to have been fine. But in regards to, to disciplining his sons, he was a miserable failure. Um, kind of an interesting episode when young Samuel began to serve in the house of God with Eli, who was older at that point. God appeared to Samuel in the night in a vision with a message for Eli. And here's the message that God sent via Samuel to Eli. Um, he said, in that day I will perform against Eli. This is First Samuel 3, verse 12. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And so God was holding Eli accountable there because of his son's conduct. Now, the accountability was these were grown sons and they were going to, I mean, grown ups are going to make their own moral decisions. But the problem with Eli was that as a parent, he hadn't restrained them. He had never spoken out. He had never rebuked them. He had never put forth any effort to stop them from doing the evil that they were doing. Again, in his own personal conduct, he seems to have been an, uh, uh, a fine person. But in regards to a parent, he would not restrain his children. And God said, I'll judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. And so God was holding Eli accountable. I got to believe that God is going to hold a lot of parents today accountable because they won't restrain their children. They may be they may be good people in their own right. But they won't restrain their children. Yeah, we see a picture of a God who is very angry in First Samuel chapter 3, verse 11, one verse prior to the verse you read, Dad. He says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. And God was mad at uh, the way that uh, Eli had uh, brought up his children, and, and uh, there was going to be some punishment that was meted out as a result of that. Uh Randy goes on to mention Jacob. He said Jacob didn't have too much success either, according to the rundown in Genesis 49. David wasn't a great father either much of the time. And, you know, in the case of David, David suffered consequences because of his own sinful behavior. Uh, You remember when he committed the sin with Bathsheba, Nathan indicated that one of the consequences of that sin, although David was forgiven, one of the consequences was that he was going to have trouble in his family. And when parents don't live righteous lives, they set a precedent. They teach by example. Their kids learn that, and they just reap more and more heartache as time goes on. So certainly, uh, uh, Randy is right about David. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com.
Um, got one more here uh, from Gail. She says, best parents, Abraham and Sarah, Joshua. We commented about both of those. Hannah. Hannah was Samuel's mother that we just mentioned, Samuel serving from a very early age in the house of God. Hannah and Timothy's mother and grandmother that you mentioned earlier in the program, Jacob, as being good examples of parents in the Bible. We hadn't, we hadn't thought about Hannah. That's a good one to call, call out as well. There's someone who's dedicated to God, willing to give her son in the service of God. So uh, certainly a good, you know, that would set a precedent for Samuel as he grew up yeah. to know that his mother was that dedicated to the Lord. And then she mentioned some worse examples, some of the worst examples, Isaac and Rebecca. And that's got to be in regards to their uh, favoritism and all the politicking and moving back and forth between Jacob and Esau. Uh, Isaac favored Esau and Rebecca favored Jacob and they they pitted the boys against one another. And their uh, relationship didn't seem to be too healthy either that yeah. they would uh, use the children against each other. Exactly right. Uh, Jacob and Leah uh, she mentions his bad parents. Uh, Jacob did, and I think Randy's email mentioned this too, Jacob did have a lot of trouble with his uh, children. Um, part of that may have been the fact that he didn't really love their mother. Uh, we know that, that there was a lack of love between Jacob and Leah, so that might have been part of that that contributed to that. Eli, again, David, again. So some of the same win, some of the same bad examples stand out in people's estimation. All right, well... We'd love to hear. We'll keep that. We'll keep that survey going throughout the rest of the program. Get on. Get on your email real quick. Send us an email. In fact, we'd just ask you for one best, one worst, and we'll try to keep a running tally. And these are biblical characters. It is not to the guy across the street. That's not a good answer. We're not going to call out any modern day examples. We want to hear from you about the scriptures, and we'd just take, as we said, a one word answer. So send that in during the break. We're going to get this week's bullet point, and then when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Don't go anywhere. Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. It seems like there's lots of folks having trouble accepting the idea that God has specific commands that man must obey in order to be saved. Frequently, when we teach these specifics, the reply is made, Well, the Lord knows my heart. Usually this means that the person making the statement has not obeyed these particular commands of God, but he still has confidence in his salvation because, as he says, the Lord knows my heart. First, let us acknowledge that no truer statement has ever been made. Yes, indeed, the Lord perfectly knows the hearts of each of us. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning verse 12 says, He is able to, quote, discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So the Lord knows us. He observes our deeds. He is aware of our thoughts and intentions. To put it simply, the Lord knows my heart. What does all this mean for the fellow who refuses to obey the specific commands found in the scriptures? Well, there's no comfort in such a realization. In fact, it is quite a terrifying thought. Here's a man who knows what God wants him to do. He has learned where his own life falls short of God's standard, but he refuses to obey. He simply will not bring himself into compliance with the will of God. Should he be comforted in the fact that God knows his heart? No, sir, not at all. Instead, he should shudder to think that the eternal judge is fully aware of his stubborn rebellion. If he chooses to remain in such a state, he should actually be hoping that God does not know his heart. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. 
And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're looking forward to hearing from you as we talk about parenting on the program tonight. Join in with your questions or comments on this important subject. As we said, there are souls at stake, and so this is a very worthwhile subject, a subject the Bible talks about extensively, and we want to learn from you about uh, what uh, you believe the Bible teaches on this important subject. Call us, send us an email, join in the chat room tonight. I'd like to talk to uh, the subject as well Towards the, before we get through with the program tonight, Dad. We see throughout the Bible uh, those parents who seem to be committed to the Lord, seem to be living righteous lives, who have children who are not uh, righteous. We see the opposite of that as well. As we look at the lives of the kings uh, in the Old Testament, especially, we see uh, a a very wicked father would then have a child who who did turn his heart to the Lord. So that would be something uh, that would be worth. Well, I think we could talk about those in terms of what are qualifying factors in this discussion, Jacob. And that is that is the reality that every individual has is, is a free moral agent and every person will ultimately grow up to make their own decision. And so. As parents, our role is to influence them to help them make the right decision because they're going to grow up and make a decision for or against God. That, that's inevitable. And so our role as parents is to give them the background and the basis upon which they can make that right decision. But everybody is ultimately going to make their own decision. Um, I think there's an interesting tie in. God considered the nation of Israel his children and he trained them, and he instructed them, and he nurtured them, but they often abandoned him. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for Jehovah has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. And so God sort of stands as an example of some who as one who had obviously done the perfect job of nurturing his children Israel, and yet they still rejected him. That's a possibility. It's a possibility that we could do our very best job as parents, and our kids would turn out to do evil because they are free moral agents. They will ultimately make their own decision. But the the biblical principle stated in Proverbs 22, verse 6, bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. That general proverbial statement is true. And so it's our job to bring them up and, and, and teach them when they're young so that when they're old, they will make the right choice to serve God, hopefully. And, and, and in the case of the Proverbs, those are generally true statements. It is generally true. Teach a child when he's young. Teach him what's right from an early age. As he grows older, he won't depart from those things. That's a generally true statement. That's our job. And that's right. Uh, certainly it is a, uh, a serious responsibility. Um, don't, you know, you talk about free moral agency, Dad. I think the... Um the temptation is for parents to excuse themselves, say, well, you know, it's not, it doesn't really matter how I bring them up because they can make their own decision. And you reference Proverbs 22, verse 6, where the general principle is you, you're responsible for your children's upbringing so that they do have a desire to seek the Lord when they become adults. You know, we were, we were referencing that book earlier, Jacob, in which that author said it doesn't have anything to do with parents. It's all about your peers. We can't downplay the influence of peers either. I mean, certainly peers are going to have an influence. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, be not deceived, evil companionships corrupt good morals. Uh, peers have an influence. We don't deny that. But uh, 
that still being the case, we can influence their peers. We can influence who they choose as their peers, and we need to be in control of that. So there are some qualifying factors, but I think there's a lot of things going on in the world today, Jacob, that that really are are the, the, the results we're seeing in regards to kids, how they turn out and so forth. A lot of things in the world are going on that are causing that to be so. Um, think about it this way. If you were an archer and you were shooting at a target, how could you guarantee to hit a bullseye every time? How could you guarantee that? Well, you'd want to practice. And, uh, no, but, but I mean, I mean, guarantee. How could you be sure to hit the bullseye every time? If you're only shooting from a foot away from the target, you could hit the bullseye every time. Proximity equates okay. to accuracy, right? Okay. All right. Right? If you were shooting a rifle, if you were shooting from 10 feet instead of 100 feet, you'd have a lot better chance of hitting the target at 10 feet than 100 feet. Being close to what you're aiming for gives you a lot better chance of success. And I think that's a good rule of parenting. We got to stay close. We got to stay in close proximity to our children. We got to know them. We got to know what's going on with them. We got to know what they're doing, who they're with, where they're at. And I think that that's a, a big factor that's causing a lot of parents to fail. They're, they're, they're dismissing themselves from their children's lives. They have very little interaction with their kids. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know who they're with. And, uh, and that's just a recipe that's ripe for failure. So we got to stay close. Now, there's, there's some things in our world that contribute to this, this thing, uh, parents not being in close proximity with their children. Uh, we don't live in the same kind of world that there used to be. We used, the world used to be, uh, such people lived in rural settings, grew up on the farm. They were with their parents effectively 24 seven. They worked together on the farm. They were in close contact with one another continuously. In the last generation or two, that's changed dramatically, and parents who are not with their kids as much as they used to. Um, also, since World War II, there's been a huge increase in working women, and that, that means working moms. And so that's been another factor that's taken parents out of close and continual contact with their children. And so... If if you want to be accurate at something, you stay you stay close to your target. Well, think about parents. Parents have been moving farther away from their target uh, in in recent generations, and it's and we're seeing we're seeing the aftermath of that in with the kids. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeu.com. I listened to a sermon recently in which uh, the man leading the uh, discussion said that children need better homes, not better houses. And I think that was a good way to put it, Uh, that uh, certainly it would be better for you to raise your children in a house with a dirt floor uh, than to have every luxury that you could imagine and them not have their parents in their life. Exactly right. Exactly right. By the way, we've got an email uh, uh, from Arthur in Cullioka, Tennessee, who mentions uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. And Second Timothy three verses fourteen and fifteen, he's talking about Timothy and his mother and grandmother Lois and Eunice, and so I, I think he's giving his vote there. Good parents and grandparents, Lois and Eunice, in regards to Timothy. All right, thank uh, you, Arthur. Thank you, Arthur, for that good comment. We appreciate uh, you being out there tonight. Send us in your comments as well. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview 
com. He references Second Timothy three verses fourteen and fifteen. This is a passage I was looking for earlier. Uh, we're talking about Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing them, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. His mother and grandmother had taught him from a child the things that he needed to know, and we need to be teaching our children from a, from a young age as well. So thank you for that comment, Arthur. Let's run down some of the things that are changing, uh, that are making parenting harder and causing parents to be less successful uh, with their kids. This was the question we asked. What, what, what things in our modern world are contributing to a broad failure on the part of parents to properly teach and train their children? Number one, Jacob, a lot of fathers are working long hours because they they have certain goals in this material world. They have certain financial criteria they hope to meet uh they want a big house they want new cars they want fine vacations and so you got to work you're going to do all those things you got to work more and more uh, to be able to do that so dads are gone from the picture in a lot of instances they're just they're just absent they 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 barely interact with their children at all they they leave for, for work before the sun comes up and they get home late at night uh and some of them are on the road uh, in the job that they have, and they're, they're absent from the family for long stretches of time. And so, again, fathers working to meet material needs and desires is, is a big change in the world that's causing trouble in parenting. Certainly we're not saying that fathers should not work. We're saying exactly the opposite of that. Fathers should be working to provide for the needs of their family uh, we read that in the scriptures, I believe. First Thessalonians chapter five tells us that if any man will not work, neither should he eat. Second Thessalonians three ten. Second uh, three ten. Okay, and uh, certainly uh, it will not eat. And then First Thessalonians five tells us first, that first he must ten, provide for his own. First Timothy five eight. First five Timothy. eight. That's right. Yes. And uh, so we're saying that a father must work, but Dad, we need to put that in perspective. What are we working for? And certainly, uh, being materially prosperous is not at all necessary for your children. In fact, it could be harmful for your children. Uh, and uh, so we need to make sure we keep those things in focus. So, yeah, the, these, these parents, fathers and mothers alike, who say, I want my kids to have what I didn't have when I was growing up, that's huge, That's usually a bad uh, a bad concept, and, it, and it, it, it wreaks havoc with the children. So we got fathers working uh, w- with wrong priorities, and... Did you know statistically, Jacob, that more than half of all married women now work outside of the home? Hmm. That's that's brand new. I mean, that's brand new. And uh, since World War II, it's just been the last couple of generations that have had that experience. It's never been so. It's never been so in the history of mankind that women worked outside the home at the at the level they do in this day and age. That's got to be a, a huge contributor to this breakdown in the parenting relationship. Certainly, and again, we're not condemning every woman who would uh, have any employment outside the home. We are uh, very mindful of Titus chapter 2, verse 5, where mothers are told to be keepers at home or to be a domestic, to keep the home, uh, and certainly that needs to be her focus. But uh, when again, when women are leaving the home to pr- pursue the material prosperity, they're making a poor trade-off. I think that if a woman works outside the home, and I agree with you, Jacob, on that, that I don't think we're not stating a blanket condemnation of women who work outside the home. But we are saying that if a woman works outside the home, she's actually taking on a second job. 
she already has a first job. Her first job, her first God-given responsibility that she cannot shirk is to be a keeper at home, to keep the home, to guide the home, uh, to be a domestic, I think is the word you use, which is, I think, true to the definition of that word. If she, if, if, if there's a decision made, maybe even forced by necessity, that the woman work outside the home, it does not give her permission or excuse to ne- neglect the job she already had, and that is to be a keeper at home. Absolutely. And your family would be much better off to not go on vacation, to wear uh, some clothes that are a little bit uh, worn out, uh, maybe some holes in the shoes. Your family would still be better off uh, to have a mother at home to make sure that the children receive the training and instruction that they need because we realize how important, how crucial that is. Based on uh, many Bible examples, we cited the example of Timothy and the role that his mother and grandmother played in his upbringing. We have to take a break, and when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Plenty of ground to go and plenty of time to take your comments. Join in now while we take this short break, and we'll conclude the program right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Hello, my name is Kent Bumgardner. My family and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Please join us. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad you're part of it. We're talking about uh, parenting and the important roles that parents play. And, Dad, I'll say something here that may be somewhat controversial, but I think it needs to be said to young men as they're thinking about becoming husbands and fathers, they need to think about pursuing a career that will provide for their families in such a way that their their wives are not forced to go outside the home to make ends meet. Too many young men, I believe, are coasting through their uh, young adult days when they should be pursuing a, a way of providing for their families. And when they get to the point where they have a family, they don't have the training necessary to be able to provide for that family. And so then the mother is forced to go out and seek employment outside the home so the kids have enough to eat. Well, that's true. And and then not only in cases, you're, you're suggesting a case where the, the, the sort of a, a, a generated necessity right. exists, but there are also cases 
where just simply wants and desires push to that. I want the, I want this new car. I want this great vacation. I want this big house. And there's no way to pay for it with one income. And so I'm going to send my wife out to work so we can afford this. Or yeah, we make we make poor financial decisions at a young age, and we're 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 shackled to the debt now, and the, and the wife has got to work. And I tell you what, and and this may be controversial too, Jacob, but through the years, I'm old enough now that I can talk as an older person from from years of observation. Through the years, when I've seen families, mothers and fathers who are Christians, but they have trouble with their teenage and older children. I can see almost not a not a categorical, but almost a one to one correlation to working moms. You see, you see teens in trouble, and there's again almost a one to one correlation to working moms. Now it's not it's, it's not a hard and fast rule, but I'm saying it's very common, and parents need to take that into consideration. If you are concerned about how your kids turn out, one of the very best things you can do is keep mom at home. Absolutely. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. What do you think about uh, parenting? What do you believe the Bible says are the responsibilities for parents uh, today? What are some other problems going on today? Let's talk about children uh, being in the public schools. Uh, and I'm not saying it's wrong for kids to be in the public schools. Uh, I know a lot of parents are homeschooling, I, I, and, and, and I commend homeschoolers, but I commend parents who are trying to do the right thing for their kids in public schools as well. But if you've got your kids in public schools, realize that's a new thing in the world too. Public schools are a new thing. and I mean, we kind of take them for granted, but in the history of time, they're a brand new thing. And yeah, really less than 100 years old, really. Thereabouts, yeah. yeah. And, and you stop to think about it, the teachers in those schools, under the heavy influence of organizations like the National Education Association, are desperately trying to influence our kids with ideologies that are alien to the Bible, like organic evolution, the acceptance of homosexuality, sexual permissiveness, and so forth. That I read a quote uh that was taken from a recent issue of a magazine called the NEA Today, and it quoted an Arizona science teacher by the name of Derek Neal, who in this article boasted about how he was able to influence an eighth-grade student with ideas about evolution against that student's parents' will. Uh, he described the boy under his influence as having experienced an intellectual growth spurt because he was able to influence him to believe in evolution when his parents didn't want him to believe in evolution. So the kids in school is a danger. Parents have got to be heads up about that danger. That's a big change that's causing problems with parents these days. I was uh, speaking with a parent last night who uh, does not uh, allow her daughter to ride the school bus because of the immorality that occurs on school buses today, something that uh, didn't occur on school buses, I think, when you were riding. Hey, I was a school bus monitor. Okay, and you didn't allow I didn't stuff. allow that stuff to go on. All right, well, that goes on today on school buses today. So you have to watch out for the teachers, and you have to watch out for the kids that your children will be in school with as well. Uh, quickly, Jake, before we run out of time, we've got a couple of emails to get to as well. Uh, children at home. Even if a parent is available, there's no interaction going on because the kids are watching TV and they're playing uh, on the computer and there's all kind of dangers that they're being exposed to by way of television and the computers. And the parents are there, but the parents aren't watching and there's no interaction going on between them. All right, 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. 
Com. Join in the chat room tonight. Uh, the chat room has been silent all night, and maybe it's going to stay silent. But uh, if you would like to join in the chat room, it's available for you out there tonight um, as we talk about parenting and uh, the challenges that parents face today. Another big change in the world, Jacob, is divorce. The high rate of divorce is causing more and more problems for parents. Uh, and and instance, especially instances where you got a parent who is committed to doing the right thing, but a divorced mate who's not interested in doing the right thing and that that the children are therefore torn between the good and bad influence and the bad unfortunately often wins out the the increased incidence of divorce is another modern world factor that's causing problems with parents i'm seeing a repeating uh theme throughout these and we could link up one character flaw with a lot of the things we've talked so to so far and that is selfishness uh, parents are selfish they're willing to not spend time with their children so they can work extra to make uh, make more money for the material things that they want. Uh, they're interested in their happiness, they think, and so they think a divorce would be justified. They're not interested in what their children need. We're seeing a theme of selfishness here a lot with parents, I think. I think so, too. Uh, another observation that has been made is that there's too much, probably an overemphasis on recreation, on sports, on band, on all kinds of activities for kids to be involved in. Kids are racing between baseball, soccer, basketball, football, band, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, uh, and on and on the list goes. Uh, and the activities, although none of them are bad in themselves, all of them can be good. But we get our kids involved in so many activities that there's just not enough time for positive parental interaction for careful instruction in the ways of God. Uh, I think parents have got to be on guard about getting their kids too involved in extra activities that, 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 that become ultimately a distraction from the things that are most important. Not saying that any of those things in themselves is necessarily bad, but put it all together and it becomes a huge problem. I was speaking with the same mother again last night about her daughter being in band, and I thought... Uh, uh, this was uh, admirable that uh, they talked about uh, she's uh, in middle school band right now, considering whether or not she's going to be in band in, in high school. And uh, the, the hesitation and reservation is that when you get to high school, that band takes a lot of your time. And it requires a, 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 a large amount of, of the young person's time, and maybe there are better uses for that and, time. And I, w- I was talking to someone just recently about band as well, Jacob, and not to pick on band, but... They were saying that, and I, I think I have observed this at some football games I've attended as well, that some of the band routines, the parents need to be on guard. There's, there's, there's some inappropriate stuff going on in the routines that the bands are performing and acting out, and I think that's got to be a concern. And then one more thing, um, the, the effectiveness of parents' influence uh, is, is strongly impacted by their consistency in following through themselves and setting a proper example and living right and consistently doing the right thing. I read a, read a survey. Uh, a man did a study of, uh, of young people, their development in one church. And here's what he found. He says, where both parents were faithful Christians with an active interest in the congregation's programs, 93% of the children remained faithful to the Lord. When only one parent was zealous, 73% remained loyal. 
In cases where both parents were reasonably active, the percentage dropped to 53%. And shockingly, in cases where both parents worshipped only infrequently, the percentage of their children who maintained their faith was only 6%. In other words, the main thing here is kids are watching you as parents. And if they see that God is the most important thing in your life, then they're much more inclined to follow that pattern in their life. But if they see that you're a compromiser and that it's really not all that terribly important, yeah, you go to church when there's nothing else that calls for your attention. When they see that, they learn from that rapidly and they learn that compromise. Children learn to compromise on these things faster than anything else. And so the consistency of parents and I guess what we're saying, the inconsistency of lots of parents is one of the big factors that's causing parents to fail. Absolutely. One other thing I think that we need is parents who are willing to have weird kids. And I don't mean that uh, weird as in uh, you know, uh, some kind of, uh, of personality defect, but we're talking about weird in being different from the crowd. And parents, I'm afraid, are unwilling to do this, and parents definitely do not want their children to have to stand out or be different in the crowd or be made fun of by their peers. But we need parents who are willing to have weird children. In First John chapter 3, verse 13, John writes, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. And he references, I believe, uh, pa- uh, instruction from Jesus in John chapter 15, uh, verse uh, uh Eight, verse 18, John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hated you. We need parents who are willing to let their children be weird. I think that's a great observation. By the way, Jacob, one of our regular chatters is saying the reason there's no activity in the chat room is that something's wrong with it and you can't get logged in tonight. So they're trying. You're they're trying. trying to chat, but yeah. you couldn't. So we apologize for that. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, I, I failed to get back to these emails. Randy says, uh, I think there are a couple of things that are related to parental fa- uh, failure. One is that modern parents tend to almost worship their kids. The whole family revolves around the kids and their desires. So, in other words, he sees that as a problem. Then he sees materialism among children is now as rampant as it is among adults. It saddens me to see children taught by their parents to reject authority. And quickly from uh, Gail, she says uh, things come too easy these days. Family are taking more vacations than ever and have money and time for their kids to participate in, in sports, yet they claim they don't have three or four days during the year to spend the entire time focused on training a child to listen and to obey. Uh, she goes on. Let's see, I, I think I got time to read this. Uh, uh, they have enough time to take and money to take a vacation away from home. They have enough time and money to spend on, uh, at home on vacation, focused only on having a child practice obedience. Parents are too worried about socialization and physical life, so that they have their kids in sports and visiting on vacations instead of training them for a spiritual life someday. Kids don't have enough incentive to obey. They have a wonderful life of sports, vacations, friends. If parents would train kids first, there would be a season of peacefulness and righteousness from the kids, and other things could be enjoyed. Hebrews 12, verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. For older kids, I think parents watch too much TV and are becoming desensitized. Yelling at kids and other abusive, ungodly methods are portrayed as normal and are being used to pressure a preteen or teenager into obedience. Parents are being disrespectful and demanding respect rather than acting like a Christian and being respectful to the teenagers during discipline or during conflict. This teaches and trains in 
in conditional love and not unconditional love. So the cycle is repeated to the next generation. Love is what it's all about, 1 Corinthians 13. But yet too many homes don't have it. Unrighteous anger is one of the biggest enemies of the home today because it is condoned as we are all human rather than the adults conforming to Christ and being an example to the kids so the kids will know how to be. Kids see the hypocrisy of parents not acting like a Christian. The double standard causes rebellion. Kids act like parents and then are in trouble for going in the unrighteous way they've been trained. Then parents blame the child for the parents losing their temper, which teaches the child the opposite of accountability. Parents have to be accountable first. Unaccountable parents are the biggest contribution to the broad failure of training in the modern home. Thanks, Gail, for those observations. Sorry we didn't get to them sooner. Uh, we got a vote from Pam uh, that Noah and his wife set a great example as good parents. They well, taught they their sons weren't willing, weren't unwilling to let their children be weird. They taught their sons something right because they married godly women to be the only ones saved in the flood. So thank you, Pam. All right, and we have an email from Jonathan. I have not read the link, but he references a story that was posted on CNN's website yesterday about spanking. I, I haven't have, read the article, but I know what it, I have an idea what it says. I, I haven't read it either, but my guess is it's, it's condemning those who would spank the children when the Bible punishment. says we must. Spare the rod, hate the child. Right. Uh, so we have uh, had a great discussion tonight, Dad, lots of things. We could have gone several more programs in the, the important subject of parenting, but uh, hopefully the things we've talked about tonight have been helpful. We sure do. Thanks to all who have been listening tonight, and we appreciate you. You and we hope you'll make it a point to join us next week for the virtual Bible study. By the way, Jacob, next week here at College View, starting Sunday, and and at seven o'clock each night, Monday through Friday next week, we're going to have a gospel meeting. Different speakers from the Middle Tennessee area are going to be preaching important lessons. So if you're in the Middle Tennessee area and you can join us next week for a gospel meeting here at the College View Church of Christ, what time are the meetings? Seven o'clock each Monday through Friday. What about Thursday night? Thursday night, Clay Gentry is going to be preaching, and immediately after his sermon, we're going to start the virtual Bible study with a live studio audience. All right. If you have questions about the upcoming meeting at the College U Church of Christ, visit our website, collegeview.com, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, or call 877-381-4567. We hope you'll make plans to be back next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.